This is After School on Core 77. I'm Don Lehman. 2014 promises to be a historic year for the Smithsonian's Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum here in New York City. Their wildly successful National Design Award program, which has quickly become the most coveted honor for American designers, is celebrating its 15th anniversary. 2014 also marks the reopening of the museum's East 90th Street location. The former home of Andrew Carnegie is undergoing a dramatic 16,000 square foot expansion that is both modernizing and preserving the character of the 110-year-old mansion. To help give us an inside look at their year of celebration and change is the director of the Cooper Hewitt, Caroline Bowman. We talk about the National Design Awards, the expansion, as well as the museum's evolving role and what it's like to run the only museum dedicated to historic and contemporary design in the U.S. Stay tuned. first tried to get in touch with you back in October, I hadn't put together that um, the government was in the middle of a shutdown. <laughs> and since the Cooper Hewitt is part of the Smithsonian, which is a part of the federal government, you were in uh, shutdown as well. What did you and your staff do during that time? Well, it was very, very impressive, let me tell you. We were in shutdown mode, which meant that the federal employees working at the Cooper Hewitt could not work at all or even represent Cooper Hewitt at any of our events that were going on at that busy time. The trust employees, um, some of them, were allowed to work but not on campus. So as a the Cooper Hewitt staff is extremely creative and resourceful. We actually worked out of uh, cafes and people's apartments, and we were very caffeinated. Um, this all happened at an extraordinarily busy time, um, right before National Design Week, and we had multiple programs going on, and I just um, applaud the Cooper Hewitt staff at you know every juncture, because here we are renovating the, the, the mansion and the museum, where in, you know, as you can imagine, um, opening this year, we're in, you know, full mode of preparation for the reopening. So everyone is super busy and then the shutdown happened. So it was, it was paralyzing, but not if you, if you understand, because everybody was, was really busy and luckily it was, you know, two weeks and then we all got back to, uh, to work full time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how would you describe what the Cooper Hewitt's mission is? Keep in mind, the thing that people don't realize, Cooper Hewitt is the only design museum in the United States dedicated to historic and, and contemporary design. That is a, a pretty major role right there. And we like to simmer it down to a simple message. That is that we inspire, educate, and empower people through design. And we do that through really through a multitude of ways, through our exhibition program, through our education programs, through the National Design Awards program, which, which runs year long, and through all of our online initiatives, making our collection and our programs accessible to a huge public. 
So during the renovation period, our challenge was how do we keep the name of Cooper Hewitt alive in people's minds worldwide? So we named this period On the Move, and we worked very closely with Wyden and Kennedy on messaging in a very witty but clear manner that we were very much open, even though we were closed at the main campus at 2 East 91st Street. So that message was on on huge signs on the perimeter of the campus. And then we continued to um, plan a whole series of exhibitions that ran nationally and globally. So our very well-known and and popular design with the other 90% traveled to five or six venues domestically. Um, And the graphic design show that was at Governor's Island that I'm sure you saw um, is still traveling and it goes, it opens at RISD, I believe, in April. So this is a wonderful way of expanding our visibility um, nationwide to other museums, to other cultural institutions, to educational institutions. It's been very, very successful for us. Um, We opened the House Proud show, which it was a wonderful display of 19th century drawings of interiors from Eugene Thaw, uh, which had great success here at Cooper Hewitt. We opened it in Paris at the Musée de la Vie Romantique um, about a year, uh, two years ago now. And then the director of the um, World History Museum in Beijing um, showed great interest in the show, which was fabulous. And it is now being enjoyed by thousands of people. Apparently, there are lines outside the doors of the museum there. Wow. So so you can see that you know our effort is really to have these, these little uh, satellites across the world so that people's eyes are really open to the fact that Cooper Hewitt is an international design resource. And again... America's Design Museum. Yeah, it seems like the renovations kind of given you an opportunity to, I mean, literally expand outside of the museum and kind of think a little bit more uh, guerrilla style, maybe about how you show work. You got it. Um, I like to think about it as, you know, breaking down the walls physically and figuratively, establishing Cooper Hewitt as the preeminent design resource. It's given us time to travel our exhibitions, to open our education center up in Harlem um, as well, where we're currently having all of our education programs for, you know, the youngest being about three, um, all the way up to, you know, plenty of octogenarians going up to Harlem to enjoy our design programs. And again, that's been a wonderful way to spread our wings and spread the message that, you know, Cooper Hewitt is alive and thumping and will be back in full force in 2014. Yeah. Um, So because the Cooper Hewitt is part of uh, Smithsonian, is there a difference in how it's run compared to other museums? The fact that it's part of the government in a sense? Well, first of all, we're very proud to be part of the Smithsonian network of museums and that that great network of scholarship. Um, you know, I think there's the the misunderstanding that we are 100% funded by the government. Mm. They are extremely generous, um, but on an annual basis, we receive about 30% of our funding from the government, and then 70% is earned income and fundraising. And of course, during a renovation period, that earned income dwindles because you don't have your your usual visitors walking through the door and spending money in the shop. 
So that has also been a challenge. But the the really impressive and wonderful aspect of this whole project has been the really um, incredible support from friends and and board members um, giving to this campaign at a time when the economy was not so strong in 2006, 2007. And, you know, I was hearing from a lot of my colleagues, other directors of other museums, um, across the nation, um, donors reneging on their gifts or saying, you know, I was going to give this million dollar gift over two years. Now I need to do it over five. That kind of thing did not happen at Cooper Hewitt. So we were able to raise the money and, you know, keep plowing ahead and, and make this dream happen. So it's, it's really just fantastic. And um, the scope has grown a bit. It, it, as you read in the Wall Street Journal, the project became more expensive like any renovation project, especially a renovation project of a 19th century building that Andrew Carnegie had built between 1899 and 1902. So there's been the in inevitable surprises and, you know, um, stops and starts, but we've dealt with them really, really well. And uh, we're on schedule right now and on budget for an opening in fall 2014. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Is so here's a question I've always wondered, uh, specifically about the Cooper Hewitt, and it's why is yes. the museum is is still called the Cooper Hewitt? Because I know kind of historically it was that, but you would think you know with the names you know Smithsonian and National Design Museum attached to it, those two kind of clearly lay out the prominence of the museum for the country and for the world. But the Cooper Hewitt part is more ambiguous, and you kind of have to teach people what that what that's about. Uh, what's the thinking behind using Cooper Hewitt so prominently? Well, um, you are asking a question that I can answer in part. And okay. the, reason I, the reason I respond um, like that is that we're actually um, working on a big rebrand with Pentagram and also a rename that will be announced um, probably in mid-May. Oh, okay. And I can tell you that we are very much um, celebrating the Cooper Hewitt those two words in in the future name. And that's because we are very, very proud of the origins of our collection, which is the Hewitt sisters who started the collection and were traveling to Europe on a very regular basis. And, you know, thanks to their grandfather, Peter Cooper, they were able to set up this teaching museum down at Cooper Union. So students were very much able to interact with the collection objects and understand the decorative arts at that time and design. We're following that same pattern when we or 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 direction I should say when we reopen the doors at Cooper Hewitt. So we wanted to not forget about our our ancestry, if you will, and and really thank them for starting this outstanding collection. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like there's some stuff kind of going in the work. And you're I mean, you're thinking about it. That's kind of interesting because now you're kind of having this big reopening. It's kind of a reimagining for what the mission is of the museum, maybe. Well, the mission and also, you know, who we are, um, what we stand for, we are striving and will be successful to create a new museum experience for visitors that's life changing and a global first. And there again, I need to be ambiguous because yeah. we are, you know, obviously awaiting a time that is more strategic to, you know, lay out all of the plans and let people know what we're doing. Um, but <clears throat> we're not closing for, you know, three years to come back with the old Cooper Hewitt. Sure. We, we are really um, 
energizing the entire experience inside and out. Um, one thing that I am hoping to do is open the doors early and no longer um, communicate that you can only come into our beautiful garden if you buy a ticket or if you're a member, but rather everybody come in. Everybody learn about design. Enjoy our garden. Have a delicious cappuccino. Make it a destination. So if you're you know, running in Central Park or exiting the Guggenheim, you can say, oh, let's go up to Cooper Hewitt. They have that you know, wonderful um, coffee bar, and we can sit in the garden and then go into the museum and enjoy what exhibitions they have on view. So it's really you know, taking the dust off the place and, and welcoming all. Yeah. Well, let's change gears a little bit and talk about you and, and your career. Uh, what was, or you know, was being a director of a museum always a goal for you? Well, I'd like to rewind even more and just talk about sure. um, growing up. I had a Swiss-French father and an American mother. My father was a physicist, and um, we grew up north of Boston in a town called Winchester with a huge basement. And uh, on any given day, there would be, you know, a telescope being polished by by one of us with my father, or you know, circuit boards that we were testing. Um, there was always this, you know, crazy scientific experiment going on. We also had a dark room. We had a printing press. So I was. Um, printing my own business cards at about the, the age of four and having fun setting type. Um, so I grew up in this very, very creative design-centric atmosphere. Um, and because of the, the Swiss-French connection, we were abroad a lot. And um, both my parents were professors and we were constantly going to see, you know, the Chateau and, and Romanesque and Gothic architecture, you know, on a daily basis. So that was sort of drilled into us, looking at things from the, the standpoint of design, which which really fed my you know my mind for obviously for you know my entire growing up and um, came to New York to enter the PhD program in medieval art um, of all subjects at NYU's Institute of Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, but at a certain juncture, I realized that I didn't want to follow the path of my parents and become a professor, but rather become a museum administrator. And at that moment, I was thinking um, of any one of the, the key roles, whether it would be conservator, curator, or director of the museum. And because the Institute of Fine Arts is on East 78th Street, that proximity to the Metropolitan really proved to be terrific because we were constantly working with curators and conservators from the Met. Um, so I really got my feet wet in, in graduate school. And, you know, it had sort of an interesting career where my first step was actually working for George Braziller, who was one of the first publishers to reproduce medieval manuscripts and, and create um, really true facsimiles of these manuscripts, as well as Japanese screens. And, you know, he did not spare a penny on the book. So it was a wonderful experience in publications and reproductions of facsimiles. I got to spend a lot of time at the Pierpont Morgan um, comparing the actual medieval manuscript to what we were creating. And bit by bit, um, ended up running my own editorial business, um, working for Abrams, Abbeville, MoMA, 
um, and other museums. And that sort of led me into a different role at the Museum of Modern Art and then a permanent one, working on more of a, a marketing and development, um, more in a marketing and development role, which of course, um, both of those um, tasks are absolutely key for any museum leader to be able to know how to run the business and know how to fundraise and know how to market. Um, and was at the Museum of Modern Art for about eight years and then um, joined Paul Thompson in 2001. Paul was the director for eight years here at Cooper Hewitt. And um, together we built the vision for the new Cooper Hewitt and um, you know, came out with the whole fundraising campaign, strengthened the board, got them behind us. Um, it was a really, really fantastic experience. And then, of course, um, Paul left to become the rector of the Royal College of Art in London. And Bill Mogridge joined and was just an incredible partner. And this, you know, the tragic thing there is he was just getting his you know, his speed at Cooper Hewitt, because obviously it takes some time to get your feet wet when you completely change um, your career. And he was having a ball and and then, of course, um, fell ill. So um, have been, you know, forging ahead with um, our shared vision in mind. And we'll be celebrating Bill in the opening exhibition on the first floor oh, great. Uh, and dedicating the exhibition to him which um, the entire staff is is really excited by. So we'll be focusing on design process and we keep Bill in our minds um, every time we talk we talk about the show. Yeah. So th I mean this it sounds like uh, you know I want to get back to, to you a little bit, but it sounds like this uh, expansion has been in the works for quite some time. It's over the course of three directors now you're the, th the third. Um, That's correct. And and but you've been the constant. So what what's it been like kind of pushing this boulder up the hill for <laughs> so many years? Well, it, you use the right metaphor. It is indeed it has been a bit Sisyphean. Uh, I am a Sisyphus. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been um, quite a challenge. And certainly, you know, like any major project, there have been junctures along the way where, you know, you question, boy, how are we going to do this? And very, very luckily now, I'm at the exciting point of, of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we're at 85% completion within the, the mansion renovation. Um, one of the floors will be turned over to us by the contractors in April. So we will start um, exhibition preparation oh, wow. and, and installation. So, you know, the energy is there because we can really, we're now talking about, okay, what will the ticket look like? What is the new visitor flow? How will we deal with lines around the block? Um, you know, keep in mind, it's still a mansion. Yes, you know, we are transforming it into a 21st century museum and a design museum um, and expecting upwards of 350,000, 400,000 people. But how do we deal with that? You know, how do we keep people happy when they're waiting in line? Um, how do we you know, feed and seat all of those people in our gardens. So those are all things we're tackling at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, I imagine your daily activities right now are, are a bit uh, kind of all over the place because of everything going on. But, you know, what are what are some of the things that you deal with on a on a day to day basis? 
Well, the really exciting thing is this whole vision is being realized first and foremost by the the stellar Cooper Hewitt team. So we work, you know, nonstop together about, you know, all of these issues that I've just mentioned, but in tandem with eight fantastic design teams. And yes, you heard me right, eight design teams. So Diller Scafidio and Renfro, Local Projects, Think, Walter Hood, Gluckman Maynard, the architects, um, Bayer Bell, Pentagram, and Chester Jenkins. So together, we are working on the new Cooper Hewitt. And to really um, send this message home, something that I'm really looking forward to is sharing that process with our visitor when we reopen. And again, there I need to be a little bit ambiguous, but we will not hide the fact that all of these design teams united to to realize the vision with Cooper Hewitt. And we want to celebrate them. I want to celebrate the staff. And we'll be doing all of that um, when we reopen. So really emphasizing that it takes, you know, a lot of brains and a lot of expertise to re-envision an institution. Yeah. Do you ever pinch yourself just being able to kind of call on these people? I mean, it's like you got you have a dream team sort of at your uh, disposal right now, it sounds like. I, I consider ourselves very fortunate to have these experts at hand, but I have to say at this juncture, they've become part of the Cooper Hewitt family in yeah. essence, because we're working so very closely. Um, you know, a day doesn't go by when we don't speak to, you know, most of them. So it's, and they all, many of them know every millimeter of the museum. So no, it's great. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, you know, I think I and, you know, most people have a very kind of surface level interaction with museums. You know, I when I go to a museum, you know, I, I'm, I'm there to see a show on the weekend or there's an opening and sometimes there's wine involved and there's sort of like a party atmosphere. And I can't imagine that, <laughs> it's, that it's always a party. Um, you know, what are some of the aspects of running a museum that people wouldn't necessarily think about? You know, what are the what are the pain points, I guess? <laughs> that, that's a that, that's a that's a massive question. Um, obviously, you know, budget is constantly on any museum director's mind, and Cooper Hewitt has an excellent staff, but a skeletal one of seventy-two staff members. You know, in the ideal world, that would be much larger. Um, but right now, people wear a lot of hats. So, you know, the operations person is dealing with, you know, facilities, but he's also dealing with what will the admissions desk look like? Where should it be? You know, how do you deal with the visitor line? If it's pouring rain, how do we keep those people happy? Um, You know, if there's a snowstorm, how do we deal with the different, you know, entrances and egress and, you know, this myriad issues. Um, And for me, it's thinking about all the different constituencies every day. So, you know, what's the staff working on? Are we communicating to the board of trustees? Are we communicating to, you know, the Smithsonian so they know where we are with the renovation and what our plans are? Are we communicating with New York City, who came in as um, a major donor for this project? Um, You know, and then thinking ahead to, 
what what exhibitions are we opening with but what are we doing in 2015 what are we doing in 2016 you know what are we doing to establish Cooper Hewitt as the preeminent design hub and one of the world's most acknowledged leaders in design you know who should be who should we be reaching out to and then from the education standpoint you know how are we debating and defining historic and contemporary design you know how are we being relevant to bring in new audiences so that Cooper Hewitt continues to grow? How do we involve Generation Y? How do we, you know, get our visitors to come for those exhibitions, but also come back on a regular basis? How do we make it a social space that people look forward to coming to? All of these questions are on my mind on a daily basis and more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge design problems, but kind of fun stuff, I'm sure, to kind of think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I love what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk uh, National Design Awards. Okay. Uh, uh, I love awards because it's, you know, it's, I love debating with people, you know, what was deserving, what should have been honored. And I'm sure, you know, we're all the kind of the same way with the Oscars and different kind of stuff like that. It's just kind of fun to do. And it kind of brings a lot of attention to uh, that subject. And to do it for design is, is, is awesome. Um, and you know, what's really great about them is they become these markers that let us look back and remind us what was important and notable at that time. That's right. Um, and the the NDAs there, I guess the National Design Awards, are, they're kind of an unusual award because it's they're, they're almost like Nobel Prize like. And, <laughs> and, you know, there's these static categories and, and they've, you know, the awards only been around for about 14 years or so now. Um, but the, the awards have kind of, or the categories have kind of remained the same, but it seems like the logic behind who or what is awarded something can can change or evolve depending on what you feel is right on a year-to-year -year basis. So is it is it like a Lifetime Achievement Award? Is it an Oscar where the best work of a certain time period is awarded something? Or is it like a Hall of Fame? How, how would you describe the honor? Well, first of all, we are very proud that we're approaching the 15th anniversary of the program. Um, when I started at Cooper Hewitt in 2001, it had just started and we were parallel with the Chrysler Design Awards that you may remember. And for various reasons, Chrysler ended their program a couple of years later. So that allowed Cooper Hewitt to really become the Oscars, the National Design Awards to become the Oscars for the design industry. And, but the underlying point of the National Design Awards is to increase national awareness of design and its impact on the quality of daily life. That's, that's our, you know, message that we repeat and repeat. Um, and, and you're right that it, it has, you know, grown to a certain level where it feels, um, very much Oscar-like, but the, the beautiful thing about it is the jury changes every year. So, you know, the museum staff has nothing to do with the choices that are made. Um, and it's, what was your other question? I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. I was just trying to think how you would describe, 
you know, the honor because there's there's so many different aspects to it where it's like it's sort of Oscar like it's sort of yes, yes. Hall of Fame like it's it's sort of sort of lifetime achievement. Well, it, it's not lifetime achievement, except for, of course, that category, which is really honoring um, someone that's been in the design world for 20 years or more. All of the other categories, the only um, stipulation is that the person has been working in design for seven years. So we're looking at the oeuvre of the designer rather than obviously celebrating one product design or you know one landscape design format. It's really looking at um, work over many, many years, uh, but it's not looking necessarily at the full lifetime. Yeah. Um how are they decide or you know, how do you kind of figure out the jury for each year and how do they kind of work through uh, kind of picking the, the well the the jury is um, we try to represent s someone in each industry within the design category and that results in a very lively discussion because you you may have you know an architect talking to a fashion designer talking to a product designer but again you know that's the beauty of it is this mix um, I was just a juror at the Rotterdam Design Prize and and the challenge there is you are judging, um, you're looking for one winner across all of those possible categories. Oh, wow. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very tough because, um, you know, it might be, um, for example, the winner of the Rotterdam Design Prize was an app that helps people that hear voices. And it's an app that you go to when you're in a social sphere and it calms your, your mind and it calms the voices in, in your head. And it's proven to be very effective. But, you know, we were looking at that versus um, examples of fashion. And obviously, you know, that's very, very challenging. So it made me think right. a lot about the National Design Awards and the strength of our categories. I think the fact that, you know, the only tweak that we've made in the 15 years has been the, the addition and the necessary addition of the Interaction Design Award, you know, shows that when we started them, um, I think we chose very we chose the categories very, very well. Um, all circling around the main criteria criteria of excellence, innovation, and enhancement of the quality of life in each of these categories. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what I really like about the NDAs is that there seems to be some. Uh, I don't want to say distance between the award and kind of what the person or group who has uh, been awarded that uh, there's 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 time to let their kind of work breathe and kind of appreciate and it feels you know fully deserving when they get it and then sometimes if it's on a year-to-year -year basis you know we're kind of caught up in a uh, a cycle of you know it's, it's hard to have the distance to appreciate what was really great at that time and i and i guess i guess what i'm saying is the the by i have the ndas feel a little bit more um there's some more uh thought given to them. And maybe that's the wrong way to think about it, but I don't know how, how you think about it. Well, a lot of thought is given to them. We are, um, well, I shouldn't say we, I basically greet everyone in the morning and wish them luck. And then they are behind closed do doors, the jury for two full days and um, look at each portfolio with great care. And there's often um, controversy. There's often long discussions um, over 
um, one category. It can go on longer than two days. It's um, a very dedicated group of people. One thing that I'd like to add is that, you know, I'm proud of the fact that designers really see this as their, you know, imprimatur of success. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the minute the awards are announced, the designers will, will often ask us, you know, how can we use this? Can we add this to our website? And, you know, nearly all of the win- the past winners have it on their website and they're, you know, extraordinarily proud and, you know, repeat to us, we'll do anything for Cooper Hewitt. And once I started hearing that, uh, you know, years ago, we we jumped on that because we really want to celebrate the National Design Award winners, not only in October, but all year round. So, for example, you may have seen Paula Scher's um, wonderful Christmas greeting for, yeah. Cooper, for Cooper Hewitt this year. You know, that's one fun way that we integrate the National Design Awards um, genius and 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 skill into our usual you know day-to-day at cooper hewitt similarly we have um design talks that are sponsored by adobe and amongst other speakers we invite the national design awards to have a discussion about their work and their careers and those have proved to be you know in very very successful because people want to get to know want to get to know these designers and you know let's face it the gala is one opportunity it's also the the sole fundraiser for cooper hewitt so we certainly understand that not everybody that's interested in design can come to the gala Um, hence you know our effort to really spread our wings and you know plan these education programs and a couple of years ago we did design usa which was featuring 10 years of the national design award in you know planning for our reopening we've been thinking a lot about how can we again underscore the importance of this program as it continues to grow funding contingent i would love to see our winners traveling across the nation and plan programs in different key cities again to you know open people's eyes about the national design award program and the, the impact of the winners work um, you know, and do it in San Francisco, do it in North Carolina, you know, and really, really um, spread the NDA wings if we can. Yeah. Um, the uh, the first lady of the United States is, has seemed to always been involved with the, uh, the award ceremonies and the gala. Um, Michelle Obama has been a part of it since her husband was elected. Laura Bush was involved since her yes. husband's term. I don't know if Hillary Clinton was involved. I think was the first NDA back in 2000. She yes, might, she was. Okay, so yes, she was. She was. So you've worked with three first ladies uh, since then. So what is their role? Been, or kind of how do they approach the, uh, the event? Well, we're very lucky. You know, the National Design Awards were first launched at the White House in the year 2000 as a project of the White House Millennium Council. And because of that, the first lady, no matter who's in office, has hosted a special event to honor the winners of the award. And this has changed in format over the years. Uh, It's obviously always been an extraordinary, unforgettable experience for everybody there. Most recently, um, Mrs. Obama said to our team, you know, I think this is a great event, but I would like to tweak it and I would like to make it more of an educational opportunity. Mm. And, you know, can you um, invite the winners to participate in education programs the same day as the lunch? 
Um, so, of course, we did that, and we had, um, I think it was three or four simultaneous programs in the morning, you know, panel discussions with the winners, and then we went into the lunch. Another thing that Mrs. Obama encouraged was involving the younger generation. So we now do a teen design fair in D.C. This is something that we've been doing in New York since 2006 when National Design Week started. And it's basically like speed dating for these high school kids, but they're speed dating, learning about how wonderful a career in design can be. So we'll sit down, you know, six or seven high school students with the winners and past winners. This is something that has become such a, a sought after program because the designers love it. They love imparting their, you know, experience about being a designer and learning how to run a business with these kids. And, you know, I, I often think that had I had this as a 14-year-old, I might just be, you know, um, working with Hoofler and Frere today. Or that's a bad example given what just happened, but I would, pro <laughs> I would probably be a font designer um, and maybe, you know, maybe instead of a, a museum director, meaning that it's, an, it's really such an impactful experience to be able to ask a designer anything. You know, so a couple of years ago, I was um, walking around the room and heard one kid say to Isaac Mizrahi, you know, how much money do you make? <laughs> and Isaac laughed and said, you know, quickly, less than last year, ha, ha, ha. But the, my point in, in, you know, adding this comment is we really encourage them to ask anything they want. Yeah. We, we want them to understand, you know, what's design? What does it mean to be working in design? At the same time as, it, as this teen design fair, we invite representatives from the different design schools to be around the perimeter of the room so they can tell students about SVA or Parsons or Pratt um, or RISD. And, you know, that group, too, has been so excited to join us because it's a wonderful opportunity with, you know, students wanting to know this information. So long story to get to the back to Mrs. Obama, we now have this very successful program um, functioning in DC as well, where, you know, we welcomed 300 kids this year. And of course, my dream is that Mrs. Obama join us and she has hoped to and, and hopefully she will um, this coming fall. But then she invites 12 of the students to join us at the White House luncheon. So it's quite incredible because when Mrs. Obama speaks to the audience, um, and it's obviously a great mix of constituencies that come to that luncheon. It's you know it's corporate leaders, it's design leaders, it's the it's the winners, um, it's the trustees of the museum, it's our Smithsonian colleagues, and it is these twelve students. Mrs. Obama gets up to the microphone and she talks to the students. She's thanking the designers, she's celebrating design, she's celebrating the impact of design, but it's really for their ears because she realizes that they are our future and, and that's what she's celebrating. And, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be seated uh, at Mrs. Obama's table, as is a high school student who this year was right at her right hand side. And, you know, she speaks to them with inspiring words about, you know, their next steps and important career steps. It's, it's an unforgettable experience for the kids. Yeah. Do you have any good uh, Michelle Obama stories other than, uh, you know, kind of seeing some of these uh, uh 
you know, kind of events or the things that she's been looking to add to the event? Um, yeah, uh, yes. I mean, you're looking for for some levity, definitely. This year, she, when she came up on stage, she said, you know, how much she loved the Cooper Hewitt National Design Awards event and that the president was actually jealous that he couldn't be with us because he's a frustrated architect. And every year he, you know, he's he's sad that he can't be at the, the, the White House luncheon. So that, of course, caused a, a great laughter. Um, and at the same time, you know, he's, of course, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, he can. I'm sure he could play so, his schedule if he uh, if he really wanted to. Right. That's, exactly. That's interesting because, you know, he's you know i'm sure he's looking down the barrel of thinking about having to build a library for himself and if right he, if he's a frustrated architect i'm i'm curious to see how he kind of goes about that then yeah uh, exactly yeah so right, hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll look at, at the past roster of national design awards yeah i mean yeah, have your pick um right so let's uh let's wrap up by talking about the the expansion just a little bit more yes um so you know this obviously you Many Clears has been in works for several years now, um, and you're in the home stretch. Yes. Um, where does the you said you're about eighty five percent done with the construction? Yes. About. Yes. Um, and when when's the opening or the reopening kind of uh, scheduled for? It's probably all tentative at this point. But it's tentative because we have some questions that have not been answered yet, and we're prototyping uh, a lot of things that, and I'm. I'm obviously being ambiguous for very specific reasons, again, that we're holding back until a couple of weeks before the reopening to, you know, really have the drum roll and let people know what we're working on. Um, but it's too early to say. It will, it will definitely be in 2014. I can reassure you that. Um, the building is being turned over to us in the spring, as I mentioned. Um, but I'm sure there'll be, you know, a long checklist of things to finish in the building. So we'll be working side by side, you know, finishing with the renovation and installing the exhibitions. And that's the really remarkable thing about this project. You know, many, many museums have built new wings um, or worked on renovations, but not simultaneous with a complete reinvention of the museum experience. And I can't reiterate that enough. Um, we are coming back with a whole new face, a whole new experience, one that will be much more social, one will one that will turn uh, visitors into designers themselves and really make them understand the, the power of design. Um, and this will have worldwide ripples. So, um, it, you know, you can, you can imagine it's complicated and, and we hope to announce the date, um, of the reopening later this spring. Yeah. Uh, what aspect are you most looking forward to? Like if there's one space or there's one sort of thing that you're kind of, you just can't wait for people to see? Well, the, the terrific thing is that we're gaining 6,000 square feet of gallery space. And, you know, as you know, being a designer, um, a mansion museum that's built at the turn of the 19th century was definitely a challenge to present compelling design exhibitions over the years. We've done a terrific job. We've built a lot of walls, you know, yeah. and now by opening up the third floor, which used to house the National Design Library, and that has been moved to the townhouses that we own on 90th Street, we'll have this incredible expanse, open expanse to present design exhibitions. And 
And, you know, that is now the Barbara and Morton Mandel Design Gallery, which was announced in yesterday's Wall Street Journal. Um, that is really one of the, the main reasons for the renovation. We needed to expand. We needed contemporary gallery space. And we were able to do it in the footprint that we had. So, you know, that's the terrific thing. And um, we'll be able to deliver our mission in a whole new way and have major examples of design objects on the third floor. Yeah. Anytime you can add 6,000 square feet in New York City, it's, uh, it's kind of an amazing feat. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, for if you have time, check out the Tata Nano um, video that's on our website. In 2009, we did this mini exhibition in the Great Hall on the car. And we had trouble getting it into the museum. We had to build a ramp um, on the main entrance and, you know, keep visitors away for the hours that we were doing this. And that's a massive part of this project is, is bringing us up to speed and making us a, a true, you know, contemporary museum where efficiencies are in order. And, you know, the registrar staff and the exhibition staff have a clear path, you know, from the driveway into the museum. So, you know, that's all behind the scenes stuff that the visitor won't know about, but it's, it's a big part of, of this renovation project. Yeah. Uh, so you've been, you know, while this has all been going on, you've mentioned before you've been running events and educational programs in Harlem. What happens to that space when you move back into the museum? We're analyzing that right now and and whether or not we will be keeping it open. But the key there is to make sure that we communicate really well to that new audience that the museum is is the doors have opened at 2 East 91st Street. So we're coming up with creative ways to, you know, scurry those people to 91st Street and welcome them here. You know, we've grown the audience remarkably. We've got hundreds of new families that are coming to our education programs all the time now, which is fantastic. So, you know, that's our challenge. Make sure that they know the museum exists and has, you know, even more programs going on at the museum. Um, it's funding contingent. If we can run both simultaneously, we will. Yeah. So I'm sure you've been kind of dreaming about the shows uh, that you've been kind of thinking about for the reopening. And uh, you know, it's kind of it's got to be kind of like when Saturday Night Live is off the air for the <laughs> summer uh, and there's all these news events that happen and they can't comment on them. I'm, I'm wondering what what's been going on in design that you have been wanting to kind of you know, either document or kind of, you know, make note of that's been, uh, that you've missed out on in, in these past uh, couple years? Well, I don't feel like we've missed out on them. Um, maybe missed out as far as, you know, including them in exhibitions, but right, it's right. allowed us to, to really dive into them at a whole new level. Uh, obviously, you know, 3D printing is is a big subject and and changing on, you know, such an accelerated um, basis. I think Mad Show is an excellent one. Um, so we're thinking about, you know, how to integrate that really important um, way that designers are working um, into future exhibitions. Um, you know, design is changing so fast. Design is answering questions now um, that they that weren't being answered before. Really looking at social issues, and we want to make sure that 
that important role of design is really emphasized through our education programs, through our debates about design, again, so that people can realize, wow, if I get involved in design, I can, I can really improve the world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, well, I just want to thank you for your time. I know you've got a lot going on right now, and uh, I just think the work you're, you and the rest of your team are doing over there is so important. Uh, you know, museum has always kind of brought us, you know, all, everyone in design together, all these different forms of design. Um, but I, I think it's really within the past 10 years or so where it feels like all these different design disciplines are collaborating more and we need to. And it's, uh, you know, it's amazing that you guys have always kind of been on that. And, uh, you know, and it, plus it's just kind of amazing that the field I'm in uh, has a, a museum dedicated to it, you know, so it's, uh, it's, all, it's all great work and, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. Don, thank you so much. I can't wait to welcome you and hundreds of thousands of other designers in 2014 and beyond. So thank you so much for the opportunity to to share our work with a, a bigger public. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I think the only thing I'd like to add is that you know, obviously innovation and groundbreaking technology will shape the transformation and the prototypes I referred to are involved in that whole um, new way of of welcoming the visitor and expanding their understanding of design, yeah. um, and and it will be a global first. And hence, you know, as you know, as an industrial designer, just coming up with the you know the right object and the right experience has been um, what is keeping us from saying, okay, we're definitely opening opening on X date. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, you know it's funny. I've been having this conversation with. Uh with people just about the nature of design. And, and I think what makes what we do so different is that the end result needs to be effortless. And so right. without, uh, and when you see it, if you, without having gone through it, it doesn't look that difficult, but that's that all that effort that goes into it that you're going through right now with uh, the museum and these prototypes that you're talking about, I'm sure. Yeah, that's just, absolutely right. It's just, it's just this, you know, again, it's pushing the boulder up the hill, but when we see the end result, it'll just feel so obvious and uh, great that it's just going to feel like that's the way it always should have been. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's our show. I want to thank Caroline for being our guest today. The Cooper Hewitt's Museum Space is on track to reopen this fall, but there are lots of events and learning programs you can take part in by visiting cooperhewitt.org. You should also check out their page that explains the goals of the expansion by visiting cooperhewitt.org slash redesign. You can subscribe to After School on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device and search for Core 77 or After School. And when you're there, if you like what you're hearing, give us a nice review so other people can find us as well. Also on Core 77, we include show notes that link you to all the stuff you heard us talking about with Caroline. You can follow me and the After School podcast on Twitter at After School, and you can follow Core 77 on Twitter at Core 77. After School's theme song is Introducing Today by Disco Lobos. I'm Don Lehman. Talk to you soon.